What is going on, everybody? This is the Fly Life Podcast, episode 22, and I'm your host, Martin Novak. This is the bonus episode, guys. Uh, first time I'll ever drop two episodes in a week. I uh, hope you guys enjoy. I'll have this out today, which is Monday, and then episode 23 with Gab on Wednesday, my usual drop day. I was going to make this its own episode, but I decided to, um, or like it take up a whole week in my schedule as in its own episode, but I decided to add it on just because I had a good amount of guests booked out, and uh, I feel like doing guest interviews sometimes if it's like around events or something can be really time sensitive in terms of continuity and whatnot. So I decided to drop this and give you guys a bonus episode. Uh, thanks so much for asking awesome questions. You guys covered everything from cars to PID tuning to GoPro settings, um, all sorts of stuff, commercial UAVs, the whole spectrum. Uh, it's an hour long. I really enjoyed it. I think I'm going to make it a regular thing maybe every <clears throat> six months or 20 to 25 episodes. And uh, yeah, just wanted to say thank you. As for the winners of the giveaway, the ESC winner is Airtread FPV. I'll shoot you a DM, or if you don't hear from me, just hit me up. And the favorite question goes to Bearded Raleigh. So you'll be getting a sticker pack, and same thing, I'll hit you up. Or if you don't hear from me, just shoot me your address in a DM. So thanks, guys, and let's roll into it. Alrighty, Q&A episode, first one. You guys crushed it on the question, so thank you. I didn't think I'd get this many I was going to let it run till Monday. Today I'm recording this on Friday the 15th. So uh, thanks again for all the questions and uh, partaking in this. Let's roll right into it. Um, I'm going to go just through the questions. I got Facebook, Instagram, and then I had a couple that I pulled from like uh, DMs I got or comments on YouTube. And you people know who you are. Just figured everybody would want to know the answers to these questions. So let's start out with the Facebook category, starting off with Tyke Anderson. What frame rate do you shoot when you know you're going to adjust the speed of the shot? And if it's over 30 FPS, do you do anything to add motion blur or something to smooth out the look of higher frame rates? So like my go-to, my favorite freestyle um, frame rate or setup is 4K 30 frames with a fixed shutter at 160th and ISO limits both set at 100. And that to me I think is like the most motion blur you can get. Um, It's like it, you know, let's be honest, it hides the most imperfections in, you know, like a bent motor shaft or anything. I don't think it really hides imperfections in a tune. Because it can't, like, maybe a little bit of bounce back or prop wash or stuff like that. But I think if you have a properly tuned quad, then that setup will kind of take it to the next level. But it won't really mask too much. Um, If I'm going to be adjusting speeds, like if I'm going to be doing a real steady edit, like my last one or something like that, then I'll usually film in 2.7K 60 or 120 if I'm going to be chasing something or, like, have something where I want to stretch out a moment. Um, But otherwise, I'll go with 60 just because it's easier to edit and process and everything like that. And I don't, you know, it still ends up pretty buttery. Um, And as for motion blur, I try to set a uh, fixed shutter speed when I'm filming at a higher frame rate. Um, There's a rule of thumb to that. It's like you should be filming twice the shutter speed of your frame rate. So like when I film 30 frames, it's 160th shutter speed. 
Um, so I try to shoot for that, um, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And honestly, if I'm going to be going for a higher frame rate and stuff like that, then I'll change the shutter speed and stuff like that to auto and just let it do its thing. Because if for me personally, if I'm recording in a higher frame rate, it's probably going into into real steady anyway. So that's going to add a little bit of motion blur to it. Um, and if you wanted to add like a blur or something, you could add a compound blur, but it doesn't look as good as if you actually blur the footage going into the camera with, uh, settings and stuff like that. So hope that answers your question. Anthony Newham, if you could design a radio from scratch, which parts would you use from current radios and what parts would be custom? So designing a radio for me would be like a bucket list item. I think radios in FPV, um, like for me personally, I would just really want something that feels like you're pulling out like a nice watch or something like that. Like, you know, something properly designed has some good weight to it. I've always wanted to CNC one out of wood and have kind of like a modern steampunk, like Art Nouveau mix radio with modern technology. As for parts I would use from other qua or other uh, radios... I don't know what I'd go for for gimbals. I think the M9 gimbals feel great, but I wear through them probably every six months. They just go out like I'm dealing with it right now. Um, one of my gimbals is on its way out. And so that's kind of been an issue and something that's starting to kind of piss me off over time. Um, I haven't really spent much time on Futaba gimbals or Spectrum or anything like that, but I met an RC heli guy one time that had a spectrum radio and he put like greased silicone tape on the throttle gimbal like on the spring on the back where it uh touches and sets tension and it was probably one of the best feeling gimbals ever with that mod so i would probably look into having something like that where you have like a replaceable um what you would call it just like material on that tension um surface that you know has a certain feel to it even if it's wearable that's fine to me if it's like a clutch part kind of thing but I think there's a lot of like room for improvement in that area and how gimbals feel and adding feeling to them. Um, and then I would probably go with something that can store at least like 100 songs and has a headphone jack. So that would be super cool if you could just plug into your radio to listen to music. Super cool. Um, yeah, moving on. Jeff Hopkins, you've met with many of the big FPV names in FPV. What are two or three main reasons people join FPV and become successful in the hobby? So I think those are two separate questions, like being successful in the hobby and getting into it. I think getting into it, everybody has different reasons and different times in their lives. Like the age spectrum is different too and how you come about it. Um, like, you know, you have the spectrum of Gapit who was dealing with addiction and like needed something to take his mind and just like focus on. So he found it that way. And then I would say the biggest, um, like chunk of people got into it with like a random drone purchase. Uh, like they were walking through Best Buy, like that's my story. That's, you know, everybody says, not everybody, but most people will be like, yeah, I got this little toy drone and, you know, and then you end up YouTubing it and it's like that black hole. So that seems common. Another trend I've noticed is that everybody that's like deep into FPV has either an extreme sports background, um, like motocross, skateboarding, BMX, mountain biking, snowboarding, that kind of stuff, um, is a somewhat creative person if they're into freestyle, like it kind of unleashed their creativity maybe. And uh, they're just inherent hobbyists and tinkers, you know, just like people that 
would rather, you know, mess with something than sit still. So that's those are pretty common themes. As for being successful in FPV, I think in that way, um, it's people that really kind of create discipline with FPV. I think it's easy to just be like, oh, I'm going to go to the park and have fun. Um, but it's hard to be like, I'm going to spend two packs practicing this trick or like I'm going to go through the process of thinking about this trick um, and then figuring out the thumb movements on the sim and then taking it somewhere else and doing stuff like that. And I even think, you know, like investing the time in tuning and having a proper setup, that's a lot of time and money. So it's just dedication and I think adding discipline to it. You know, it's like if you look at skateboarding, it was a pretty casual sport and then you get street league and stuff like that and you get people like Nigel Houston that treat it like it's the NFL or something and train for it and just have major discipline. And it kind of like takes over and elevates the sport to the next level. And I think you're like in racing, you see that a lot with uh, like kids like Vanover and Minchan, where they have like a schedule and agenda of stuff they're trying to do. They're not just focused on like the next big race. They're thinking further out than that and training accordingly. All right. Matt Burt. Uh, he looks like he asked a bunch of questions here. What camera angle do I fly, and how does it change based on situations? I, besides Tiny Whoop, basically fly uh, the same camera angle all the time, besides micros. And I think it's like 22 degrees. I fly a pretty low camera angle. I think it, for me personally, grants me more control in terms of mitigating speed. And I really like the feeling of throttle being correlated to upwards thrust instead of accelerating forward more so. Um, on the beta whoop, I run like 35 degrees, but that's fine. And on the tiny whoop, I run less just cause it's indoors. So, and I never change any of them. I always run the same stuff, but I run a 1.8 lens on my five inch quad. So it's a super huge field of view. So even with 22 degrees of camera angle, I mean, I can fly at like 45 degrees and still see the horizon. I just have to be looking at the top of the screen. So Next question by Matt Burt. How did you find your way into the commercial UAV industry? Um, I think you've talked about it before, but do you have any suggestions for those who may be interested in pursuing the same work? Does it seem to be growing? Um, how did I get into it? It was, I got into FPV and into, I was working uh, like nights at the restaurant, which I did for like 10 years of my life. That was my career. And so, and I got into FPV and I thought it'd be really cool to like work with drones also and learn more about them because at that time FPV was so daunting and you know, the information, like no rotary, there was like maybe like 200 videos on the internet. So I thought it'd be cool to get a job working around drones and I just typed in on Craigslist and jobs drone and on like a fluke chance, this shop in my town was hiring for a technician and it was like five minutes from my house. So I went down there, talked to him, like told him what I knew. And at this point I had built like one quad that was fully soldered. Like my first setup was like servo plugs that I got um, like ready to fly and then modified. And then I got a TBS power cube. And then I had one, oh man, what was that SP racing flight controller? And that was like my first one that I built from scratch, soldered everything. And that was, and then I went in for this interview, like told them what I had done. I w- didn't really fit the bill. Um, so I just started coming in and like sweeping the floors. Um, so I was just, you know, like free internship. And I did that for like three months and then I got a job and it was like nine bucks an hour. And I did that for six months and then it just went up from there. 
Um, and it's really fun. Like it's just FPV on steroids, and I work with fixed wings mainly, and it really is just like a high-end giant RC plane. Um, there's a lot more to like know and working on. It's a lot more stressful because like the build go up to like 200 grand for one of these things. Um, but it really makes FPV really relaxing and like building an FPV rig after building a commercial rig is like, you know, electric go-karts compared to an F1 car or something. It's super chill. Um, is it growing? It's definitely growing. It's blowing up, but I would say because of that, like the barrier to entry is getting a bit higher. Um, you know, like, I don't know if you can necessarily just walk into a place or something like that or what experience you need these days. Um, but it's definitely growing like so much and there's a lot of programs you can do, but I think just starting at the ground floor is an easy way to go. And, uh, like the guy that I work with, that's like my, he's my direct boss, uh, Danny, he used to work at Atlanta hobbies when like Steele and John were hanging out there, uh, back in the day. So he started out like working on DJIs and stuff like that. But now it seems to be getting to the part where it's kind of like, you got to have some credentials and stuff like that, but I highly recommend it. All right. Nam, what up, Nam? Shout out to Nam in California. What do you think about 6S freestyle long range? What's your favorite favorite flying terrain? Uh, 6S for freestyle long range, I think, is probably necessary. I just took my first 5S flights, and I'm sold on like the flight time and what you get out of it. The batteries are super expensive, but for how much you're going to spend in the air for each battery, I think it's like a pretty similar breakdown, um, like dollar per second of flight or whatever. Uh, so, and I think, yeah, I'm just all about it. Lately, I've been flying a big 2200 on a five inch setup and that's been a bit much, but, uh, I'm excited to try like six, seven inch setups and go up to six S. I think it's going to be a sweet spot. And favorite flying terrain, it really just changes. Like, I'll go into wanting to fly the mountains a lot and, like, those long mid-range lines. And then, you know, like, I'll feed that fix, make an edit that I think, like, did it for me in that field. And then I want, like, trees. I always crave good trees, but it's ghost branch season. Bandos, not so much. And then for me, I know it sounds really dull, but I love just flying football fields and, like, giant flat fields where you can get super low and... I feel like that's where you really practice on like stick inputs and being smooth and you can just shred so hard, you know, there's nothing to hit. You can just, <clears throat> just get after it. Um, another question by Matt Burt, how do you tune? Where do you start off in flight one? What do you look for on the first, uh, flights of a new build? And then what do you change to get rid of unwanted flight characteristics? So, how do I tune? Um, like the over, like the umbrella elevator pitch of how I tune is get a new quad. If it's a similar setup, throw in some pids, you know, just before I even fly it that I think are going to get me in the ballpark and then go out, fly it, do like 30 second flights and attack one axis at a time, like just do rolls, get the bounce back dialed, do just pitch it, get the bounce back dialed. Um, then I'll delve into prop wash and try to fine tune that out. Um, and then once it feels good in the goggles and like it flies right, I can fly it how I want it and it's, uh, predictable. Then I will start doing like minute long flights and this is my least favorite part of tuning, but like tuning off the GoPro, you know, go fly it, pull the SD card out, watch the footage, make an adjustment, go fly it again. And I think like that, 
even though you make less changes in that stage of tuning, it takes longer than the first part. Like it's to me, it's so easy to get a quad flying great to the point where it looks great in the DVR. Um, but the GoPro is, you know, the fickle bitch of the situation. Um, what do I look for on the first flights? Uh, first flights, what do I look for? I, I mean, I just look for everything. I try to get a gauge of where everything's at. Um, you know, this is the part where, like, I'll try to get, like, an overall feel, you know, just be like, does this thing feel overtuned, undertuned, way too much prop wash, chunky? Uh, but for the most part, try not to get focused on changing everything. Like, it really is counterproductive if you try to change too many numbers at once. And you'll kind of get lost because it's harder to reverse or, like, to pinpoint, um, a certain problem and on the first flights of a new build and then what do I change to get rid of unwanted flight characteristics that's open-ended I mean I change anything and everything I think that's why I like flight one so much is because you have so many things you can change like you know your filters you can go through the roof with filtering um you have all your kd and ki limits that you can adjust uh the, the, I like the adjustability of the tpa it really just makes sense to me. Um, so you can change anything. I would say if you're for me, if I'm dealing with bounce back, um, I'll usually deal with that in PIDs and D-term. If I'm dealing with prop wash, I'll usually deal with that with filtering. Um, what else? I mean, overall, f flight feel and video quality to me are like a dead tie. You know, you can't out video a crappy flying quad and you can't um like do sick flying on a video that looks crap so it's 50 50 for me um jesse brimhall you've always hinted at your tuning method your rates what is your actual method for tuning a new build from stock firmware um so that's kind of like the first the last question but that you know let's say I'm, it's a new build new motors like new frame something i've never touched um, I'll put stock firmware on there, stock tune, and let's assume I'm not even going to be using like uh, the presets from Flight One. Then I would go out and fly it, you know, 90% of the time if it's a five-inch rig, uh, like a usual freestyle setup. You're probably going to need to go up in PIDs, so I just have that in the back of my mind. I'll fly it, and then, like I said before, attack one axis at a time and go from there. Uh, Tuning your rates, I think this is a really overlooked thing. Like, nobody ever really says tune your rates, and I think it is a thing, and I think you should tune them to yourself. So, like, at whatever point you are in FPV, I think at some point you should really look at, like, when you say to yourself, I'm going to do a roll or a flip, whatever, and you do that flip, like, are you over-rotating it a little bit, under-rotating it? And if you are, then just change your rates accordingly. Like, I used to over rotate my stuff a lot and I ran like 1200 degrees uh, of rotation per second and then one day I just started tuning my rates from like how like my mental flying I guess you could call it <clears throat> one sec for my mental flying and uh I got down I'm, I'm like right at a thousand degrees now I fluctuate between like 990 and like a thousand ten so I think you just got to tune it to your style and just take the time and then tune your expo to your style too, you know, like I have my expo set up for my style of flying, but if I was racing and stuff like that, I would probably change it and make it more of a direct feel. Um, and just don't feel like you had like, um, like there's a right way to do it. Like I feel like tuning rates is all about feel just whatever feels good. Who cares what the numbers look like? 
you know, how it is in comparison to other people you know or what posted on the internet. Just do it strictly based off of feel. Uh, Justify FPV on Instagram asked, I love the notchy quick transition and the smooth low ones. How do I get that? What do I time? Uh, I term, please let me know. I need to help, help me out a ton. And this is in relation to how my quad flies. I think the notchy feel, um, it's easier to achieve in flight one or like the notchy look. Kiss seems to be pretty sick with it too. I haven't seen too many beta flight setups that kind of have that like robotic look. Um, a lot of that's going to be filtering and your limits like KI and KD and stuff like that. And totally depends on your setup, but you want to, you know, it's going to be over rather than under. Um, yeah. And just take the time with it. Oh, and also in terms of iTerm, Justify asked about iTerm. I run almost stock iTerm on my quad. I find that tuning and flight feel and everything to me is better with a lower eye. And then I just run an increased idle. And that not only helps here in Colorado, I live at like 5,000 feet and I fly in the mountains up to like nine, ten thousand 10,000 feet. So I think the high idle helps with that. Um, but it also just gives the quad more authority right when you get back on throttle like it's like a anti-lag system on a turbo you always have boost pressure so you can just tap into it at any time versus having to build it and uh, I think that's a little and little trick that people you know are starting to catch on to and a lot of people I've asked like Jed and Nurk and stuff like that all run a high idle so uh St. Shane FPV, what's your go-to setups, cams, two antennas, everything? Go-to setup, craft quads, low flow, 5-inch frame, run cam, Swift 2 with a 1.8 lens FPV cam, Emacs, uh, the old LS2400 KV2207 motors, Flight 1, Bolt 32 ESC with a Revolt OSD, um, Unify HV Pro VTX Crossfire either Nano or Micro doesn't really make a difference to me. Um, TBS Triumph Antenna HQ five uh, five point one by five point one props and Immortal T or stock Crossfire antennas and I think that's it. Oh and then uh, Thunder Power Adrenaline thirteen hundred milliamp four cells and a Hero 7 on top. That's my go-to. Bearded Raleigh wants to know, Datsun 510, two-door, four-door, or wagon? Um, I'd probably go two-door or wagon. I like like them all. They're all great. Um, But I think if you're going to go four-doors, you might as well go with a wagon. I love wagons. They're some of my favorite cars. And I would totally go, like, complete throwback with, like, external mounted oil cooler on the front grill and stuff like that. Great question. Primary one auto. What up, Javier? How do you like to make holes in the donuts? Um, Great question, but we both know you know the answer to that. How does someone like you pick up someone like Babs? Ooh, that's easy. Uh, Big set of fat, awesome thumbs does it uh and proper pids the fpv geek what's the difference between different filter types in f1 and when to use each man i couldn't tell you i'm not that much of an expert uh i can tell you my go-to setup is 
stage one predictive filtering on on the first stage two off and then on the d-term filtering i run the rc fr12 filter at 120 on all three i don't know what the different filters do i mean besides the predictive one um i usually run with that and then for d-term filtering if I have a quad that I'm dealing with like a lot of prop wash and stuff like that, I will throw a second bi-quad filter on there at 200 on all three axes. And uh, I hear the magic equation for no prop wash uh, is double bi-quad filters on D-term filtering all set at 200 everything. <clears throat> but uh, since I'm, you know, like dedicated to the same setup that I make most of my videos on and that I care about the tune the most, uh, you know, I don't have to change too much of that. Like... Whenever I flash a new firmware, I will basically just transfer my tune and maybe tweak a couple things. So, riding 951, loose or tight sticks? First of all, bro, so sorry about your leg in Vegas, man. Uh, that was so gnarly. And, uh, yeah, man. If you guys haven't seen it, check out riding 951s. I think he had it on his Instagram um, of hitting him. He flew into his leg, and it looks like... I don't know, like Final Destination almost happened with a quad. It's brutal. Um, Looser tight sticks. I like super, like as tight as they'll go, basically, Tyrannus or Gimbal sticks. And then my throttle, I like moderately tight. Uh, I like it to the point where it definitely won't fall if I let go of it, but I don't like any notch in it or anything like that. Shout out Greg Ryder to notchy throttles. Uh, focused to be big. How many quads do you have? And what are your quads, uh, your go-to quads when you're going to rip some packs? So I have one, two, three, four, like six go-to or six quads, two of which are my go-to, two of which are the low flows I just talked about. They're just identical setups. Those are my like fly all the time rigs then i have a x hover skyliner with uh the quad me 2407 motors on it that i run on five cell that's like my five inch mid-range machine i can get like five minutes of flight out of that um and then i have a three inch cinewhoop that i just converted a three inch and i 3d printed some prop ducks for um i don't really fly that too much and then i have a brushless whoop a regular whoop i fly the brushless whoop way more than the regular whoop like i haven't flown the regular or the brushed whoop since i got the brushless and then i have a beta 75x that i fly pretty much daily but the only purpose of flying it is to do laps with the dog like it's basically the dog's beta 75x it's covered in drool and hair and all this stuff and i'll just rip the yard once a day instead of taking him for a walk but uh i would say 98 percent of all my flights uh besides that get flown on the two uh low flows Water break. Uh, when am I going to make my own frame design? I don't think, uh, I don't know, like I've thought about frame design and stuff like that, and I've had an offer before to make a frame with a company, but, you know, to be honest, like the Craft Quads low flow just does it for me in every way. If I was going to be ta designing my own frame, it would basically be like a clone of that frame. So I don't think that, that would be very valid. And Christian, the owner and designer of the Low Flow and of Craft Quads, lives like a mile from my house. We hang out like one to two, two times a week. 
excuse me, and I have direct input on the like design process and all this stuff. And with him living so close, he cuts the carbon um, at his work. And you know, if I ever need spares, so like it's super geographically desirable. The design works for me, and if you haven't seen it, check out craftquads.com. It's like one of the sickest frames ever. I've been flying it for two years now. Uh, I haven't switched to anything else, and I try pretty much every major frame that comes out. Um, but, yeah, that's my go-to. So that's why I wouldn't switch to it, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe someday. I wouldn't mind designing, like, something different, you know, not necessarily like a five inch freestyle rig, but like long range. And I have some stuff in the works with a company for not me designing frames, but just like some kind of testing out some frames that have some design features that really haven't been done before. So I think I'd rather just fly. Uh, speaking of flying, fly high FPV. What's your recommended best FPV camera at the moment? I don't know about best FPV camera at the moment. I use the Runcam Swift 2 I talked about. It's like never failed me. It's great. It's gotten wet. It's been cold. Everything. But I think a lot of the stuff that's like coming out is pretty good. The new Fox Ear stuff seems really good. Um, Runcam for me is always a go-to. And I hear the new TBS cam is really good, like the Tiny Whoop one in terms of micros. So, you know, I think all of them are pretty good. But I'm just <clears throat> pretty sold on Runcam. Uh, thoughts on four in one ESCs versus individual ESCs. I think if you're dealing with a lot of noise, uh, individual ESCs, it's easier to mitigate. You can cap them all. Um, they're easier to replace. You're not kind of gambling on the money of like one ESC breaks. You got it's going to burn all of them and maybe like probably your flight control and everything since it's tucked in there. But in terms of building and how it looks on a frame and everything like that, the all in ones are awesome. I love everything being plug and play now. Makes it so much easier. You can build a quad so much faster and so much cleaner with more ease. So for me personally, I like all-in-one ESCs. But like last summer, I flew built a Kiss rig with separate ESCs, and one it flew phenomenally, and two I felt kind of paranoid having ESCs on the arms again, like I was going to hit them or something. Uh, that was from Lettuce FPV. I don't know if I said that. <clears throat> Finny Boy Zero, a recommendation for toilet tank lightweight freestyle quad. I have an eye on the gap at frame, but it looks like a quite right build. We'll see. I would go with the Craft Quads Low Flow, man. That's my frame of choice. It's not cheap. It's like 115 bucks or something like that, but it comes with full titanium uh, T10 Torx hardware. Um, it's you know, American-made carbon. It's medium tumbled after it's cut, so it's got a really cool finish on it. And, uh, yeah, in terms of, like, CG and weight and uh, prop line and everything like that, it's one of the most balanced quads out there. Um, Von Veta, do you use a throttle curve or expo? And if so, do you set it in Betaflight or in the TX? Uh, I don't really use a throttle curve. Uh, I use a lot of expo. Uh, I set the... Set the expo in the GUI, um, like in flight one. I think that's just a lot better. It, it, I don't know. I'm sure there really isn't that big of a difference, but I kind of think about like where in the chain I'm inputting that data, and I like it being in the brains of the machine. I think that's a bit better. Um, and then expo, yeah, I use a lot of it. I put that in there. And throttle curve, I've used a little bit here and there. I've also put that into um, like straight into the firmware, but I don't use it too much. I've always kind of like catered my prop and KV combos to just feel how I want, so I don't need to use a lot of throttle curve. 
like on this 5S setup, I've used a little bit, and on whoops, I used to use a negative throttle curve. So I would get a little bit more, like it would, you know, jump up to a higher RPM faster. Uh, Sisman Daron, what do you think about Falco X? <clears throat> Let me get a vape rip and a drink before this one. So what do I think about Falco X? Um, I think Falco X is awesome. I think it's the future, no doubt. I think the potential it shows is huge. And I just think that in like in the new way of thinking, like being able to set up an OSD or set up a quad from the OSD and it just figuring everything out is kind of like one of those aha moments where it's like, why wasn't this always this easy? <clears throat> Super cool. Um, I think Flight One is on another level of like filtering and stuff like that and getting a quad to fly right. I know there's like the industry divide of hating on Flight One for one reason or another, but I really think it is really forward looking. I've flown it. Um, like I said, the setup was mind blowing. Um, in in the versions I've dealt with, there's things you can't change, like the depth of things you can change through the OSD hasn't been fully built out, but it definitely will be. And I have a couple things I like to do, like the high idle, um, and just like some TPA adjustments and stuff like that. So I you know, haven't spent the time to get it flying as well as my usual, my go-to rig does, but yeah, I'm all about it. I think it's going to be epic. Uh, Quadify FPV, real steady versus hyper smooth or both. I think, I mean, I think real steady takes the cake for sure. If you don't involve money in the situation, I think if you, um, you know, if you're talking about 400 bucks for a program, how often are you going to use it? Are you going to use it to make money? Is it, you know, are you going to get make that money back? Like all that stuff, real steady is pretty expensive. I think it, with lack of better words, shits on hyper smooth just because you can tweak it after, you know, that's the biggest part is you can change the settings after and there's a lot of settings to change. Um, but I think that's also, it's, you know, like crux and it's what makes it tough is like the learning to use it and tune it and refine it and everything is a long process, whereas Hypersmooth is like a turnkey option. It looks, you know, it's like we're talking about like a 5% difference in look. And with that new update for the Hero 7, it really improved a lot of those yaw issues it was having with like delayed yaw movements and kind of being notchy. Um, but I think Real Steady's better, but I also will say, you know, I think Jordan Temkin's about it too, that Real Steady adds a certain look that you either do or don't like, or either does or doesn't fit a su certain situation. Like, I think really smooth flying with hyper smooth, like I've been seeing on Cinewhoops and uh, Squirts and stuff like that, uh, looks really, really good. I think that um, long range stuff and stuff like that looks really good in Real Steady, so... I think it's they're both just tools you can add to your quiver and uh, for the right time, you know, you can use it. And for the most part, I don't think people that have real steady don't have a Hero 7. I'm just like, you know, if you got the cash for that, you've probably already bought a 7. So, but I recommend real steady, you know. Do the trial version, see how you like it, see what it does to your footage. But I think as a creative tool, it's amazing. I think in terms of, um, yeah, let, let me, on a side note, before... You, related to this question, like the debate of, oh, it's just real steady, because I see it in the comments, like on my videos, or like people, you know, it's like a call out kind of thing, they're like, oh yeah, this looks really good, uh, but you can tell it's real steadied, I wish I could see the, like the regular footage, and it's like, yeah, it is obvious it's real steadied, but I don't really see in the world of FPV, 
people real steadying footage and putting out edits that, you know, are like popular that aren't also good or great pilots. Like to be at like that, like in that thought process of like, I'm going to fly this thing creatively. And like, I'm at this stage of thinking about spending this much money on it, you know, and like, I care this much. Those are usually people that are pretty damn good pilots as is. So, you know, I don't, I don't think like, I think, like I said, it's a tool and it can add to your footage, but I don't think it's going to like, you know, you're not going to get into FPV and a month later have real steady and then be like, knock it on air blasters, follower count, you know, or people thinking it's crazy sick. So <clears throat> just a tool. What is the best three inch frame for doing freestyle and cinematic shots? Uh, I don't know about freestyle. I'm not too much into three inch setups, but, uh, that Shendrone squirt is definitely taking the cake for cinematic shots and the prop ducks and everything like that, the way it's designed, it looks like you could non-stressfully hit door frames flying inside with that thing all day and not worry about it. So I'd go with that one. Uh, that was from ab.cdr. Corvidea, Corvidea, FPV, uh, what's some things you don't like that other pilots do while you are flying? I'm going to assume you mean like in my presence while I'm flying. Um, I'm not too much of a stickler about it besides the obvious stuff. Uh, don't, you know, like fly near me and don't fly sketchily around me. Um, and for me, I think there's like degrees of that, you know, like you have to trust the pilot skill. Like there's things you know, like you should never do with a quad, like fly around someone's head. But like, you know, if like steel was orbiting me, I probably wouldn't stress it too much. But if some guy was like, yeah, it's my first build and you know, I got, it keeps desyncing, but let me orbit you for a sec. Like that would sketch me out. So like safety. Um, and then my, really my only pet peeve or biggest pet peeve is when we're flying in a place and there's like people or like a part place we shouldn't be flying close to or something like that. And the person is like shredding in that area that really stresses me out and gives FPV like a bad rep and uh, is so preventable. Like just be respectful. And like for me, I like to fly FPV incognito, like not really be noticed, not have people around and people that, you know, like buzz people or out of control kind of freak me out. It's a huge pet peeve. Uh, Mellow me 17. Have you ever flown plus stretch X V tail or Z configuration frames before? Um, I've flown Stretch X, and I'm assuming by V-Tail you mean like a dead cat or something. I've never flown a dead cat. Stretch X feels amazing, not for freestyle, but for running gates or just flying like fast, low, and uh, racy kind of style lines. I love that feeling, but the roll axis for me <clears throat> is just a bit too wonky for those juicy moves. It's got amazing like pitch characteristics, though, and it can change direction in a very interesting way. It feels like when you're flying in a straight line, you kind of got to break it off of that straight line. Um, feels like you're driving an F1 car in a video game versus like a Fast and Furious car. Uh, V-Tail, no, haven't flown that. Z configuration, don't even know what that is. And flown a plus. I don't know what that is either. Donald Schindler, what does Darth Vader vape during episodes of the podcast? So when I'm ripping my mod, I used to rip a lot of fruity flavors, uh, like candy kind of sour candy flavors. Recently, I've switched to having a jewel around for the podcast episode, so I don't sound like Darth Vader. It's more like a, I don't know, just a subtle rip, and it's super quiet. Uh, and so for that, I like the tobacco flavors and that's kind of got me into ripping a tobacco flavor in the mod. Those would be my go-to 
And I go back and forth between a three and a six milligram in case anybody cares. AK bling bling. How to put beta flight on a KISS FC V2 with a Mac. Bruh. If you got a KISS V2, you should be flying KISS on that for sure. Um, nothing against beta flight. Like, I think it flies well, but, you know, KISS is just, to me, it's like the Porsche of FPV. It's awesome. Flies great, too. And I think what it, Vanover's freestyle rig is a KISS setup. And that video he posted from when he was out in Colorado was ridiculously good. And, like, all of High Flight's footage and stuff like that is off of kiss setups and then obviously steel but it looks so good man stick with the kiss air tread fpv ground wire or no ground wire on the four and one uh i don't i don't know if you're talking about something separate i just use the cable that plugs right in and i think that's got a ground wire on it Eric Lane, 7588. How do you get clean video and the goggles these days? I have tried caps next to the 4-in-1 and next to the battery and even next to the VTX. Nothing seems to help with 4-in-1s. My video is flyable, but man, I have spent a king's ransom trying to get clear video. Uh, I don't know, man. I think that's a tough one. You know, it's video and it's FPV. It could be anything. Uh, personally, uh, on my 4S setups, on my all-in-ones, I don't even run caps. I just run straight power and don't really have issues. I would think that if you had caps on everything like that, you would be getting clean video, which makes me think that it's not like electromagnetic noise related. Um, if it's just one quad you're having this issue on, then I would check your pigtail and make sure that it's not broken internally. I've done that where you put the, like where the SMA is connected to the end of the pigtail has broken and that thing's just like dangling around in there. Um, and if it's happening on multiple quads, then I would trace it back to the source of your goggles. Um, and just go from there, you know, it's an FPV issue. So that's my general direction or like how I would start attacking it. But you know, it could be anything. You could have RPSMA on SMA and not be realizing that you need two Vs when you got two Ds or a V and a D when you got a two Vs over there. Speltadelic. Thoughts on the Brain FPV Radix flight controller? I have one on its way. Looking forward to the Graphical SD for tuning them vibes out. Don't. Haven't flown one. Haven't used one. Heard good things. Uh, you know. I wouldn't vouch for it since I haven't tried it, but I will say I've heard good things. Fisted FPV, the FPV name I will never forget. Jesus, man. What is the most reliable, complete setup lately, in your opinion? Uh, the setup that I went with, or that I had stated before, the low flow setup, that's most reliable. But I will say, in today's age, if you're, you know, like if you can build a clean setup, I haven't really had issues with like things just frying or going out like I used to. Like I have you know, VTXs and stuff like that that are over a year old with no issue. Um, head skull, are there any good 20 by 24 one ESCs that survive success? <sighs> uh, I haven't really delved into 20 by 20. I can't really answer that. Um, I have a 20 by 20 on my three inch, but I only fly 4S on that. I have the millivolt stack, but I can't really say. Sounds like a deep dive on RC groups. Rider FPV, where do baby drones come from? You didn't see that episode of Rotor Riot, dude? It's a good one. It's with Sharpoo. DCM, buddy. When you're flying mid or long range, what is your go-to procedure if your videos start fading or go going out? 
auto level and punch out or go with it and hope it comes back. I know what keeping line of sight is key, but what happens if you're in the moment and go behind a rock or too low? So uh, this is going to be a longer answer one. If your video starts going out, there's like two types of videos going out situations. There's I'm flying behind this object at like over a quarter mile out and I can anticipate the fact that for half a second, a second, whatever, I'm going to lose video. And in that situation, just don't move your thumbs. Like get whatever you're trying to do lined up and just hold that stick input. It's going to look better on video anyway and you can just trust it unless it's like crazy windy or something. Um, if my video starts going out and it's like an, you know, I messed up going down the wrong chute or I flew further one way than I thought, um, when in doubt, punch out. It's usually my thought. Um, if I'm flying forward, I'll like punch out, give it maybe like a quarter second of throttle and then start to pull back a little bit and try to get it back in the direction. Um, but those are all kind of, you know, for the most part, 99% preventable things. You can, like knowing the area you're flying when you're flying far out is a huge thing. So that if your video does go out in your brain, you can like with your eyes closed, know where you are in that spot and know why your video is going out. Um, a spotter always helps like a thousand percent. Provo said it on spun. And, uh, you know, I don't fly with one a lot, but I really know the spots that I fly, like I know them well. Um, but having a spotter helps. And the auto level thing would definitely help. I haven't done it. Like, I don't fly crazy far. And in the mountains, like, for people that haven't delved into flying long range or haven't flown in sparsely populated areas, the noise floor in the mountains is incredible. Like, there's no Wi-Fi routers. There's no nothing. And you're flying up and away, which is ideal for your RF. So it's really just going to be you flew too far over a ridge and you, you know, blocked line of sight. So know the area, punch out and, uh, DVR in case it, you know, goes south. <clears throat> but there's always a chance you could lose it forever. Uh, what a data FPV, data FPV, what advantages the BL Heli 32 brings to your quads besides playing music? Uh, I think it feels a little better. Um, it adds like some of the features. Uh, turtle mode, you got to have BL Heli. No, you don't. Yeah, you do. You got to have BL Heli 32. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's like you're going to switch to BL Heli 32 and like now my videos look dope. I think we're talking about maybe like from what I felt. I don't know, a 5% difference, and in Flight 1, like, I've dabbled with, uh, you know, D-Shot and what, like, whatnot on the Falco X, but I always run multi-shot anyway, so, I don't know, I don't think it's, like, a crazy advantage. Uh, Bonk FPV, shout out to podcast guests. You've mentioned downhill mountain biking on a few different episodes, what's the deal with that? How do you get into it? Uh, why did you get out? So... I got into mountain biking, downhill mountain biking, when I quit playing hockey uh, at the age of 14. I'd played hockey for like seven, eight years or something like that. Just really was sick of team sports, everything about it. Um, sick of playing like in an arena. And it was just like the, you know, like go to practice, go to the rink, go home, go to the practice. Like I didn't play. It wasn't every day, but it was just very the same routine. And I'd been doing it forever. And at that age, I was getting really into skiing and, uh, like, extreme sports and stuff like that, inline skating, shout out Fruit Boots. 
And so I got into downhill mountain biking after I quit and I didn't race or anything. I would just go to the resorts and ride, saved up, bought my first downhill bike on Craigslist. It was like a five-year-old race bike, total junker, uh, and just slowly started to ride. It was really hard back then, though, because I didn't have a driver's license. So it was like always having to get rides from parents. And I live like two hours from the ski resort, so that's not really an easy sell. <clears throat> and the season for that is only like three, four months because then it's winter up there in the mountains. So I got into it like that. Thought I was getting pretty sick with it. Like, could ride all the black trails. Went to my first downhill race in Crested Butte in, like, 2005, I think. 2005, 2006, and got second to last place in the Cat 2 category. Just got owned and spent that year basically sucking. And then I spent, like, three, three years training super hard. Uh, and just, I spent my summers traveling around. I had like eight races in 16 weeks on a team. We were sponsored by Intense, um, and Fox Shocks and the Fixed Bike Shops in Boulder, Colorado, or Fixed Bike Shop in Boulder, Colorado, uh, Max's Tires, a couple of others. And then I was sponsored by Monster and Spy optics and yeah i would just travel around all summer race work part-time like just live that lifestyle it was epic man it was like some of the coolest stuff i ever got to do and coolest couple or like four or five years of my life but then uh i ended up winning the championship moved on to semi-pro got seventh in the series as a semi-pro like had a really good year and then they canceled the race series in my area, so I would have had to travel a lot, and I was just getting injured, you know, like, I didn't have any horrible injuries, I dislocated my entire hand and broke my arm in the same crash, that was probably the worst of it that ever happened, and had to get it set, that was the worst thing that's ever happened pain-wise in my life, um, but I had, like, yearly hematomas and a lot of concussions, and I was just, like, always banged up, so I decided to move on. And, uh, but now I really miss it. So, and, uh, it makes FPV super fun because crashing a quad to me, like I still think about those mountain bike crashes, just like being clipped in, in a rock garden and just tomahawking yourself. I don't miss that part. Crisp adventures for people that don't have $600 to drop on FPV goggles. What would be the best budget friendly goggles to get started in FPV with? I mean, if you're just trying to get started, like box goggles would definitely be up there. But if you're trying to get kind of like legit goggles, then I would just see if you can find something used, maybe like a model old, like some HD threes or HD twos or something. Um, some old sky zone, something like that. Um, you really don't need like the newest and the greatest to get into it, but it is one of those purchases where it's like, if you feel like you're going to stick with it for a while, it might just be better to shut out the cash now than in six months be like, oh, okay, I need to get better goggles. So know that. Uh, John Riley, FPV, how many quads have you lost? One quad. I lost one quad about a year and a half ago, TBS G2 with uh, a GoPro session on it on a long range flight. Thing just fell out of the sky just disarmed itself it was so random uh and it was really far away i probably could have found it um i didn't dvr so let that be known since then i dvr everything and i figured i would just leave it up there and let it be a reminder to always dvr so one quad um laos manzur pids versus rach <coughs> rach rates which one is more important for you um, I would say pretty close, 60-40 split. 
Uh, PIDs are probably a bit more important. Rates are, you know, really just important in relation to you. But something that people, I think, overlook is that rates do affect PIDs. Um, you're going to need different PIDs if you're running like 1,200 degrees a second of rotation and your motors have to stop that rotation without bounce back versus if you're running like 800 degrees, you're dealing with a whole different spectrum of force. So know that you can affect your PIDs by changing your rates, you know, and you, but you can't go vice versa. Uh, the real good vibes. Aliens have invaded and will destroy us all unless a human champion could defeat theirs in a freestyle contest. Who do you call? Uh, I think High Flight, Blackbird, Johnny, John C. Um, if it was just like straight freestyle, if it was for making videos, probably like Chris Teal, Air Blaster, Jay-Z, FPV. Uh, Nurk's been getting up there in terms of like refined cinematic videos. And then if it was for racing, I'd probably just take like the podium of nationals and, uh, like top five DRL pilots and just mix that in together. <clears throat> Dennis FPV. What do you think of the wild Willie dolphin frame? Uh, I think the dolphin frame is actually pretty cool. It's got some really cool design features that, like the way the top plate comes off on that style frame is really awesome. It's easy to access. Um, the size of it is right. Even though the front camera pod looks kind of upside down just aesthetically, uh, it works really well, um, and it's easy to work on. And the thing that gets me, though, is in theory for me, the thin arms are like way more susceptible to vibrations and noise. It's like a tuning fork effect, um, which is a bummer because visually I love them. And I love the way they feel in terms of drag when you huck the quad and your quad is flat against the direction you're going. So like maximum drag, I feel like you can really feel a difference there. Um, but for me, in terms of like giving it like a seven tenths effort of tuning, I wasn't really able to get it as locked as I, you know, can get like a low flow or something like that. But then, you know, looking at Willard's footage and other people's footage, you know, he's got it dialed. So it's not like the possibility isn't there. But those were the issues I had <clears throat> uh, with it. Uh, Max FPV Austria, our long BL Heli 32 startup song is hurting the ESC. Uh, I don't believe so because the songs come from the motor. The ESC just tells the motor how to make the noise, like it sends the current into it. But the motors are the actual things acting as speakers. So I think you're all right, man. You can, uh, rickroll that startup tone all day. Levi FPV, why are people using BL Heli 32 ESCs when BL Heli S is half the price? I already answered that. Mark Rule FPV, Mark Roll FPV, what's the best 30 millimeter stackable VTX in your opinion? Uh, in my opinion, if you got a VTX, I wouldn't stack it. I don't race, so I'm pretty sure it's probably going to be for a race build, so I can't really say. But uh, I'm all about having the VTX at the back of the quad. And Poppy Props FPV, your videos look amazing. Can you share your favorite camera settings and what you do for color color grading tricks? Uh, do you use any LUTs? So uh, favorite camera settings, I stated that up above or in the first question. Um, I do manual white balance is the only thing I didn't mention if it's going to be like a really epic shot or the conditions are just right. Uh, the only time I can't really do manual white balance is if I'm flying from the bottom of a canyon up and it's shadowed in the canyon and it's bright 
um, at the top of the canyon or like ravine and I can't really get my GoPro dialed to what the light conditions are going to be up there where I really want to be getting the shot. Um, and then in terms of color grading, yeah, I use LUTs, but they're just like LUTs that I've made. I have like a go-to that I use as my base and then I adjust some stuff from there, but I don't think I'll fully reveal how I do my color grading and stuff like that. <clears throat> uh, I feel like I'm missing one here. Uh, another one by Rekt. Uh What are some good video editing techniques or something like that? Um, I don't like, can't really say like video editing techniques, but I would say if you're, you know, using, if you got like a lot of footage from a day, one of the most helpful things for me is like having like an actual workflow. So if I have a lot of footage, I will dump everything into Premiere. I won't even watch it off the SD card unless it's like, you know, just some amazing moment I just can't help but see real quick. But otherwise, I'll put it all into Premiere, um, drag them one by one into the timeline, and put an adjustment layer over them where that's you know color graded for the situation or the time I was flying, the time of day. And then I'll watch them all, and I will color code like color the clips differently based on how cool they I think they are. I have three stages and if it doesn't make those three stages, I'll usually drop the video unless it has like some cool moment in it or something like that or a cool wreck. Uh, and then I'll go from there. But for the most part, I try to shoot for like less cuts, you know, try to do it in one pack. I think that's kind of like something we need to focus on as a whole is not cutting footage as much and linking lines. Um, and uh, yeah, just have like a workflow and then, you know, take the time to like save your presets and your sequence settings and export settings and uh, learn about export settings and just take that kind of time. You know, if you took like one day and just spent like six hours learning about Premiere and video settings and stuff like that, I think you'd probably have a leg up over like 60% of FPV people. And I think that's slowly changing. You can kind of see it in video and like content created. A lot of people's videos starting to look really, really good. Uh, yeah, I think that does it for all of them. Wow, thanks guys. How long was that? Where are we at here? 56 minutes Q&A. All right. Well, hope you guys enjoyed that and I'll see you next week.